This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. You know, it's uh, exciting times in the uh, NBA. Um, uh, there's uh, there's a whole lot going on, so uh, fun things to uh, talk about. Of course, we're we're going to be reflecting on uh, something we never really delved into that much before, but really an important part of the NBA's history is uh, the buildings in which the games are played in. Yeah, no, and it's actually pretty interesting. The idea kind of came into my head as as you know we're closing down on, on the Bradley Center for uh, the Milwaukee Bucks home, and uh, in the f- coming years we have a few other. I mean, Oracle obviously is a pretty famous one that that's going to be going by the wayside here in a, a year or so. So I thought it would be cool to kind of look back at at some of the um, some of the arenas that were popular in the league or whatever. And I'm sure we could do a deeper dive, and I'm sure we could just go nuts with some of the stuff. This is going to be kind of just a a little overview of you know arena changes of recent vintage arena changes that are coming up, and then a little bit about historic arena. And now, you know, with with Bradley going and, and the Oracle soon to soon to follow, like what's sort of left or who are the old, you know, arenas left? Because it's actually far fewer than you probably imagine. And, and also I want to kind of look at historic trends of, of how often do teams change arenas and are we in a, a boom period for arena switches? Are we in a, a down period or whatever? Just kind of checking out a little bit of the movement of, of you know, teams in their arenas. Yeah, it is a fascinating subject. And I mean, the origins of the BAA, you know, which merged with the NBL to become the uh, NBA, I mean, the reason they formed a league was, hey, we have these buildings and we don't really have enough dates to uh, fill them. So let's start a basketball league to, you know, make sure that we have actual events that will be played in our arenas. So, uh, yeah, if you uh, you need to build it for them to come. So uh, so it is absolutely uh, important. Maybe a underappreciated part of the game, but obviously, you know, a there are some there are some venues that are better for basketball than others. Oracle has certainly, you know, been a very loud arena, um, you know, really great um, home fans for the uh, Warriors, a really great atmosphere that they've had for, you know, for so long, even in many years in which they were not a very good team. So, uh, so yeah, that's obviously, we'll talk more about that, but that's obviously going to be a, a huge shift for the team. Yeah, absolutely. And having been to Oracle, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, Bradley Center's all right. I've been there a bunch of times. It's it's okay. It doesn't really. I don't know. It it, it it's fine. It's, it's <laughs> you know no I mean? Mecca, obviously. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, the Mecca's pretty sweet. I, re- I really wanted to go. They had a game earlier this year where it was at the Mecca. Uh, the one that was like the the Celtics and the Bucks or whatever at the Mecca. I really wanted to go, and I like got very close to just like leaving work early and driving all the way up to Milwaukee. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> no, I can't do that. I really regret that I didn't do it. But um, 
No, the Mecca was awesome. But yeah, the Oracle, I mean, that that's an arena that it, it's just because it's just constructed differently than any modern arena is because now modern arenas are all obviously for luxury boxes and sort of stuff and, and multi-purpose. And it, it, there's there's just a different look and feel to a lot of like I, I go to the majority of my games at the United Center, which is fine. It's OK. But man, if you're in the 300 level, you might as well be, you know, a mile away from the action or whatever. Whereas Oracle, we were in like second to last row maybe in the oracle when we were there and you still felt like you were right on top of the action because there's only the two floors you got your bottom floor or whatever and then you have your second you know tier as the united center there's three tiers in between those tiers there's sky box. so like you're just keep going farther and farther farther away and you get less of that sound as well it doesn't kind of carry so yeah going just did and i went to a warriors bulls game when they were i mean the warriors were this is you know steph curry was there but it was like they hadn't quite broke out yet and it was still like you said it was they weren't a great team but it was so loud in there so i can't imagine what it sounds like now or, or what it sounded like you know as they were sort of emerging as, as an NBA champion. But they've also mentioned that some of the crowd dynamics have sort of changed at Oracle as well. You know, as, as things are going on, it's a big reason why they're, they're, they're going to move here in a little bit. But yeah, Bradley, I've been to a few times and it's okay. It's fine. But yeah, I have gone to a few NBA arenas and yeah, it's kind of, it is varied how, how they are, but they are starting to get a little bit samey or they were for a while, but I feel like the golden one center seems like it's pretty cool. I haven't been there, but I'm um, seeing some pictures of that one, the one in Sacramento uh, and then a few of the other newer arenas, even this chase center, the, the one that the Warriors are going to move to. Looks a little different than your run-of-the-mill basketball arena because there was a while there where everything like like Staples Center's is is fine, but it just looks like the most generic, you know, two thousand early two thousand basketball arena. It's like there's nothing unique about it. It's just kind of it's fine. Like it it just works as a normal arena, but there's nothing that really stands out or, or anything really unique about it either. Oh, uh, which uh, NBA arenas have you been to? I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I'm trying to go. Yeah, I have to look at the actual list right now to see. Uh, let me let me let me do a little quick here. I'll I'll, I'll tell you mine while you're thinking about yours. Yeah. So, I've been to Phillips Arena uh, in Atlanta. That's the one I've been to the most times because I lived in Atlanta for a few years. Uh, very convenient to uh, go to games there. Um, I've been to I've been to the the Q in Cleveland. I've been to uh, in the uh, the Pacers Arena. Um, that's about oh no, and I've been Fieldhouse. Now I went when it was Conseco Fieldhouse, but I, I think it's Baker's Life. I, I, I think like it that, was yeah. Conseco when I went there, but yes. And I've been to the Smoothie King Center because I saw um, Kobe's like I don't know fifth to the last game or something. Um, Oh, oh well, right, you did that. Yeah, you yes. lined up your your wedding with the uh, you know. Yes, yes. Farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. I, I found out. I, I found out recently that my wife apparently was uh, not uh, very happy with uh, me abandoning her that uh, night. I she seemed <laughs> oh, okay hey, with what, it at the what? time. She seemed a little bored with me, but I don't. So anyway, that Look, I, when you, when I have a chance to go to the Smoothie that. King Center. You got to go. You gotta that's that's that. a fair point. So, yeah, you know, gotta. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, actually uh, far less. I'm not. I'm looking at the at the arenas. I've definitely been to far less than I, I, I thought. I was. I've, I've obviously gone to the United Center. Oh, sorry. Were you not done with your list? I know uh, that, that that's it in terms of yeah, actually seeing games. I've, I never went to even though I live you know, like within a decent drive of Detroit. I never made it to um, a Palace of, of Auburn Hills. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, that, that's about it. And, and I've been to Richfield Coliseum, the the Cavs' former arena, but but for a concert, not for a uh, actual yeah. game. Okay. So. Yeah, I've just been. Uh, I'm looking at the list now. So I've been to United Center. I went to whatever the the Amway Arena. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Not now. It's the Amway Center, whatever the one in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I went there. Uh, Baker's Life Fieldhouse. I went there when it was Conseco Fieldhouse, and I think that might be it to be. And then obviously the Oracle, as I mentioned. I, I tend to go to more baseball stadiums than I do basketball right. stadiums. It just depends, like you know, when I'm traveling and whatnot. And it's also yeah. it's a little bit easier to justify to the uh, the lady, you know, hey, let's go to a baseball game and you can be outside and drink beer as opposed to like, hey, let's go inside and watch a basketball game. But I do want to check out the Pepsi Center in Denver. Um, oh yeah, and I'm going to be in LA in April, so I, I might be maybe try to swing a, a trip to to Staples Center. But we'll see what ends up happening there. But yeah, I believe I can't believe that's it. I feel like I've been to oh, I've also been to whatever the hell the 
it's talking stick resort arena, but I, was it U.S. Airways, the one, the one in Phoenix? Oh, yeah. Um, it was U.S. I Airways. For, I forget what it was called. Sure, yeah, whatever not, it was. It definitely yeah. was not the talking stick resort arena. No. I would have had a, a field day with that, but sure. I, I think that's it for me. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. And obviously the United Center. I, I I don't know if you actually mentioned the United Center. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, there you go. So I missed that. So so yeah, well there you go. So uh, the, the Rose Mount Horizon, but that doesn't count for anything. Yeah, I've been, right. there, I've been there too many times, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> I go to there every. Like, sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite among those? Uh, definitely the Oracle. I mean, that was okay. just a really cool experience, and and yeah. like obviously it's missing some of the modern amenities that you get at, at some arenas. But I don't really care. I care about once you get into your seat and you're watching the game or whatever. I don't really care if the concourse doesn't look pretty or you know whatever. Like it, it sure. doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. So, but yeah, the actual like physical in your seat watching the game and and hearing the game, it was just incredible being there live. So yeah, it's gonna suck when that when that goes. And I, I mean, the Chase Center looks like it's all right, but yeah, the Oracle just had like it was like whoa, this is this is pretty cool. And 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 it, it comes across on even. Um, on TV when you watch it. When you watch older games as well, you see the older type arenas, the ones that are a little bit more close, a little more compact. You just hear them. And that's like nowadays, you know, crowds obviously still get loud and stuff, but they don't have that same sort of boisterous loudness because of these big arenas, this noise just kind of goes up or it just kind of goes everywhere. Whereas, you know, Oracle's one and, and, and there was, you know, no, a number of arenas where it was just so loud. I mean, the guy at Chicago Stadium is one that's pretty famous for that too before the United Center. That would just be like raucous. And like anytime things were going on, like it was so loud in that arena just because it is so close. Richfield Coliseum is one I remember as well being always uh oh, yeah. loud, super loud yeah and there's competing noise too with just all the you know in arena stuff and and i mean that's, that's obviously you know for 30 40 years now that that's that's been going on but that's you know when you watch a game in the 70s you're really relying on the crowd for the enthusiasm and for the noise and you know you, you didn't have a whole lot you know you had an oregon plane or whatever but but not much else so i i think crowds kind of had to keep that energy up where now you can substitute that with certain other things too and it, it you know it just it, it creates a different t- sort of vibe and obviously we're way past that but it's uh but yeah com- the arenas combined with you know the uh how the crowd is expected to act or or whatever that totally changes mm-hmm. the vibe of nba games absolutely so let's uh get into the uh, bradley center here a little bit uh, again we're in the final few weeks of the bradley center uh, as the home of the uh, nba's milwaukee bucks uh, arena opened october 1st 1988 with an exhibition hockey game between of course the chicago blackhawks and the edmonton oilers because when you open up an arena in milwaukee you definitely have the blackhawks and the edmonton oilers but i guess sure. they didn't have a, an, an nhl team so you know it's yeah. chicago next best thing yeah uh so it's currently one of the oldest uh, active nba arenas only behind the madison square garden in in new york city and the oracle arena in oakland we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh later uh, but yeah, some other stuff um, in terms of that. So obviously, you have the Bradley Center on the on, on the way out. Uh, coming up soon, the Chase Center. We mentioned a little bit the brand new Chase Center will replace Oracle Arena uh, as the Golden State Warriors home uh, arena. This uh, this will also be a, a story time too because the Warriors will be moving across the bay from Oakland back to San Francisco and the franchise. So they changed the name to, the, from the San Francisco Warriors to the Golden State Warriors prior to the seventy one seventy two season. Uh, in order to suggest that the team, you know, represented the entire state of California, and at that time they were doing games and all over the place. And we've talked about that in our, um, I think, our '70s episodes of where you know they would, it, it was more of a, a statewide. They they weren't just in one place. They'd have some games in Oakland, some in you know San Francisco. They would do some in in, in um, I think San Jose. They did a few games. Well, they were kind of bouncing all over the place a little bit here. So they go to the you know, Golden State, lose kind of the San Francisco thing, uh, and in that year as well, almost all the games. Um, were played in Oakland. Six were played in San Diego. None in San Francisco or uh, D- Daly City, which is where the Cow Palace uh, was. 
Uh, so the Oakland Arena became pretty much the team's exclusive home court by 1971, and then from then on, uh, they've been kind of an Oakland team. Uh, but 47, you know, 47 years later, they're now on the way back to uh, San Francisco for the first time. So kind of cool that that that's happening. But uh, cool in one way, and then cool. I mean, I, I enjoy that they're back in San Francisco, and that's kind of cool. I know the location where they're at, but there's something fun about going over to Oakland for for like a basketball game, and and it being you know sort of their team versus you know. Now it's kind of San Francisco's team again, and it's going to be harder for anybody in Oakland to get over there. But given how ticket prices have gone in recent years, uh, it's been hard for anybody from Oakland to even you know go to games in the first place. So, yeah, and, and I mean, kind of the negatives of that, of course, the shift in um, uh, you, you, Oakland supported that team so well for so many years when they were bad, and now that they're yeah you know, obviously a dynasty and you know one of the premier teams, well, really the premier team in the league, and making so much money now they're moving. You know when they weren't wanted, you know Oakland. Took them and accepted them, and you know the demographics of the different cities. You know the they were the team of the have-nots for so long, and now that they're the team of the haves, they're going to an arena that is you know beautiful and going to make a lot of money, but is also like away from you know it, now you know definitely can't be afforded by you know anyone who isn't a millionaire pretty much. So so that, that's a bummer, mm-hmm. but obviously the um, arena is cool. Yeah, um, yeah, because um, yeah the. Uh, the old arena actually dates back to 66, uh, and the Warriors moved there full-time in 72, but the Oakland Oaks played there for um, a couple seasons in, from the ABA. So they uh, so, so they were the ABA arena before they were the uh, NBA arena. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then another arena, quickly, uh, and then we'll kind of get to some of the kind of the history and recent other changes, uh, the Inglewood Basketball and Entertainment Center. And this one is still kind of an idea, but uh, it's, it's a proposed 18,000-seat arena to be located in Inglewood, California for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, the plan is right now for it to be in 2024, but I don't know exactly what's going on because that that 2024 is when the the Clippers lease with the Staples Center expires, so they would be presumably looking to go elsewhere, leave Staples Center. Uh, I, I assume that the Lakers would stay. I, I don't know exactly all the nuts and bolts of that. I, I imagine you wouldn't want to replace the Staples Center already, so it's probably just the Clippers kind of wanting their own home as well. Uh, so the planned arena is expected to be directly south of the uh, under construction Los Angeles Stadium in Hollywood Park. Um, so that's the future home of the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers because LA's got to have a lot of football teams at all times. So every time yeah, they, they do it and then it fails miserably and then they move again and then they come back every you know ten years. Oh hey, LA football, great! And you know this year's not any exception. I think the Rams are playing in like a soccer stadium or or the Rams are playing in the LA Coliseum and then the Chargers are playing in like some terrible like soccer arena and like still not nobody was coming and it's like, oh, whatever it's a fucking disaster. But anyway, public funds, yay! yay. Uh, the planned arena is not without its detractors. Uh, the nearby forum, the famous. LA Forum. They're uh, they're pretty close to where this Inglewood. Um, yeah, they're in Inglewood as well. Center. Yeah, yeah, and and they. Um there's still a venue that's up and running. I mean, obviously they do concerts, they do stuff like that. They're obviously not hosting any you know major major sports anymore, but they've sort of reworked to become like one of the premier concert venues in that area. Well, they're a little ticked that like, hey, now you're going to build like another arena right down the block that presumably will steal some business from us. So they're a little worried about that. So. Um, and the Forum, of course, that was home to the Lakers from 1967 until 1999, until they moved into uh, the Staples Center, and the Clippers obviously played at the, the LA Sports Arena, but now it's going to be, again, this is just proposed, I don't think it's ever, it's official, and we're definitely doing it, but there is definitely some pushback on this, and, and it might not happen, but at least we, we know there's a potential timetable of 2024 uh, 20, uh, for, for this uh, Inglewood Sports and Entertainment Complex. Yeah, it's interesting, because there's kind of a gap between um, 
uh, yeah, there's there's not really anything. We have the two new arenas that we're talking about, but beyond that, like there's no one else has really seriously talked about. There's going to be kind of a gap between new arenas because obviously, e- even if it, someone else decides to build something, it's going to be a while before okay, we you know we, we build anything new. And there's a couple mm-hmm. we'll look we'll look at it. There's a couple of um, interesting gaps between arena arenas being built in the uh, NBA that um, I, I think are worth talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some recent changes. Let's get over some of the, some of the more ones that we've seen uh, as of late 2017. Of course, last season we saw the uh, or this season I should say the the Pacers or the Pistons uh, move from the Palace of Auburn Hills into the brand new Little Caesars Arena, close to the downtown, close to the city, close to everyone's at. And then every game you watch, there's like a thousand people there. So it, uh, I don't know, but hey, public funds. Yeah. Uh, by the time <laughs> by the time it had closed as an NBA venue, the Palace uh, was only one of two arenas which had not sold its naming rights to a corporate sponsor. The other one is Madison Square Garden, of course. So it's probably kind of cool. That was always something that they would they would always have it like spot some it would you know the court would be sponsored by someone or something but the arena was always the palace of auburn hills and it never changed and that was always kind of cool i always thought that was uh unique uh, about that yeah. arena. Yeah, that was uh, it was widely considered to be the first of the modern style nba arenas uh so it had a large number of luxury boxes and really kind of led to the nba arena boom uh in the 1990s which is really cool because you, you look at it and it was kind of the first one and we'll talk about it here in a little bit there were arenas that sort of came later that just didn't work from the from the beginning because they were either like before or after the boom run, but for whatever reason, the, the Palace Auburn Hills was like right at a perfect time, and everybody kind of looked at that arena and went, "Ooh, that's nice. We need that." And, and sort of everybody else then kind of went that way, and, and and the luxury suites was a huge thing for them, and they were all bought out like pretty quickly too. And I think that's one of their famous stats too is that for almost the entire run of the Palace, like every single one of those luxury suites was was, was bought, and and so so that was you know great for that that arena and that uh, that that team of course. But they obviously they moved uh, downtown to the Little Caesars Arena, but. Um, um, the major reason, you know, just beyond the age of the arena, the Palace of Auburn Hills was, of course, the location. Uh, the Palace was built in a time when people were moving to the suburbs, people were leaving the cities, going to the suburbs. Uh, but now, as more people move back to the city centers, they wanted to bring things back downtown. And that's what you're going to see kind of the growing trend. It obviously happened with baseball stadiums. And you, you're seeing it more and more with any NBA arena that's, that's anywhere away from where the downtown or the populace is now is starting to kind of move back to that thing where for a while there 60s 70s and 80s it was all about getting as far away you know you got the you know even the pontiac silverdome in detroit where the pistons played some of their games way out there uh, the richville coliseum like you're saying not necessarily downtown or whatever it is the the quick and loads arena is right downtown i mean there's numerous examples of of these kind of arenas out in the suburbs then now everyone's kind of moving back into the city centers yeah, and Detroit. I mean, it's kind of the poster child of that of that larger trend of and really, you know, of a white flight of you know largely white populations moving away from the uh, city and you know eventually yeah, building the arena there. And um, and and yeah, the Palace of Auburn Hills. It, it, it was such. It's it's kind of it's interesting because you know it's also it's a sign of that but it's also was very much a sign of the pistons finally arriving as you know they'd been in detroit for so long and really been an also ran team and generally not really very good up until at least the mid 80s and so it was finally a chance for them to be major league and they really did find a nice home there in um in auburn hills and so moving that back to detroit is it's it's cool because obviously it's kind of back to the city and it's you know um adding things it's also kind of taking away from auburn hills a little bit which you know was a community that kind of had you know um done really rallied around the uh, pistons and also as the city kind of spread out was much more was closer to um what the city had been than you know than, than previously it was kind of a, a, fl- a far-flung suburb initially but you know as time moved on it became more a part of the city but um, 
Yeah, uh, interesting. I don't think I've. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the on the show, but I uh, a few months ago I sat on uh, airplane next to uh, Anthony Tolliver, and um, I talked to him briefly and, and asked him about you know how he felt about um, you know actually playing in Detroit and as opposed to Auburn Hills, and he said that they were excited about it. It was you know, it was cool. It was nice to be in the uh, vibe of the uh, city. Uh, and then I asked him like, is it easier to like get to like the airport and like travel and stuff? He said I, actually it's harder to uh, do that because of where the airport is uh, located. So not not so good for that, but they were yeah, sure, excited. Right. I'm, I, yeah, the I, I haven't checked in on it recently, but I know that the attendance uh, was not particularly strong for the no. first few months of the season, and, and you know they're not particularly good. So that's part of it. I, the trade for Blake, Blake Griffin may have, for Blake Griffin may have changed that, but um, yeah. So obviously, you know, it's a long term thing. It, maybe it'll end up working out really well for them, but um, yeah, that, that was a little disappointing to see. Yeah, right now they're um, they're. So- uh, 19th in average attendance. Let me see where they are percentage-wise, because that's always a pretty fun one to look at. Because obviously, the, the you know overall numbers isn't too okay. So they are 29th in percentage. Uh, not great. <laughs> 81, uh, 82 percent for them. They're only. Uh, I regret to tell you, Jason. Can you guess who is the dead last in percentage? Of- uh, I'm sure it's the Atlanta Hawks. It's yeah. indeed the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, uh, well, it, it, it's hard. It's uh, hard to uh, get there uh, from Atlanta. Atlanta, another one, but it's so spread out that uh, people have a hard time getting to the uh, mm-hmm. the downtown. It also had the trend of you know, with what the Braves did moving to the suburbs. Um, Thirty years after the Epistons uh, did or did that is uh, they're kind of re- they're kind of the opposite of the uh, trend for the most part. And, yeah, right, right, yeah, sure. right. <laughs> but, uh, Oh darn! All right, well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this, uh, this of course was so the Pistons moving back to Detroit, um, Detroit proper, out of Auburn Hills. Actually, the first time since 1974 that all four of the major Detroit sports teams, all the Detroit, you know, it's kind of you know, even if they're in the suburbs, everybody kind of call them Detroit. Uh, played in the city limits on a regular basis, and the first time since 1978 that the Pistons uh, played in the city of Detroit on a regular basis as well. Uh, this also moved, was the first time since 1961 that they, uh, the Detroit Pistons and the Red Wings, will now share the same arena. So that's kind of cool because they always had the obviously the yeah. Joe Lewis Arena for the Red Wings, and then the, the Pistons would play uh, at the Palace. So it was kind of cool that now they're kind of in the same arena uh, as well. So mm-hmm. brought it all into one. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, 2016, we also saw the uh, the Sacramento Kings moved from their longtime home, the Arco Arena, uh, Power Balance Pavilion, the Sleep Train Arena. Pick whatever. Sleep Train Arena, is. baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sleep Train was always a pretty bad one. I always, I'm, a, I'm an Arco man, but uh, yeah. Uh, to the uh, they have the new, obviously, state of the art Golden One Center, which actually looks like a really cool arena. I'd love to go there because it looks like they did some unique things about it, and I think it's one of the more techie uh, arenas as well. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what that was. But uh, one thing I did not really know, and, and I kind of found out doing the research of this, that that was the second Arco Arena. There was actually the original Arco Arena. Uh, which was 1985 to 1988 was the Kings' uh, original home uh, from when the franchise moved from you know Kansas City or whatever, and then that arena had a capacity of just 10,333 seats. So it's now like an office building. <laughs> I, I, now I just really want to go to see like what the inside of the office building was because somehow it's like because it, and you look at it too and it just looks like a random office building. Like we've all worked in a building that looks like this, so I have no idea how it housed an NBA franchise uh, for a few years. But uh, just to kind of give you an idea of how big that is. So you have ten thousand three hundred thirty-three was the capacity of that original Arco Arena. Today's smallest arena, the aforementioned Smoothie King Center, uh, it houses sixteen thousand, a little under seventeen thousand. And that's the smallest one. This one had 10,000. It's just nuts how um, that would happen. But Arco 2, uh, the, the second Arco Arena, 
uh, we talked about you know arenas at the beginning of the show, the ones that are really loud and, and ones. And this one gained a huge reputation for being just super loud and super devoted fan base as well. Obviously, people bring the cowbells. That certainly helps as well. But that was a team even when they were terrible, even in, in the worst of the years, they would always be raucous. They would always be there and they would always sell out. And I always remember that being a cool thing. And then when they finally got good, obviously in you know the late nineties, early two thousands, then it just ramped up that that atmosphere a ton more because it was like oh these devoted fans who have been here for years now finally get a good team or whatever. So it's kind of cool. But yeah, that gained a rep as being one of the louder arenas as well. And I think it actually broke. Like a decibel record or something like that, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. So it's kind of cool there. But uh, the arena actually got its. Uh, so there's a in the retired numbers of the Golden One Center. There is a retired banner for the uh, Arco Arena. So that's kind of interesting. I I don't know. That didn't come up in our retired numbers uh, uh, show that we're going to do at some point. But yes, the arena got retired as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, how nice for it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so it's been a while since um, since there had been an arena, you know, before the two that we, we talked about, uh, all the way back to uh, 2010. So like, uh, so quite a long gap between there. Well, I, I guess Barclays Center was in 2012, but there was a about a five year gap um, between those where you know new arenas had been um, built, and obviously Barclays was a you know was a new arena, bringing them from a completely different area as opposed to just you know building one in the same location or relatively close to the same location. But yeah, they moved from. Um, the Orlando Arena, also TD Waterhouse Center, and also known as the Arena in Orlando, and lastly the Amway Arena. So they, they, a lot of name changes are there. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they actually the the old building, the history goes back before Orlando even had a team in the NBA in '86. Um, uh, Pat Williams, who had been a longtime GM throughout the league, was brought into the team to um, was brought into the team as as far as their bid was going, and. Um, Knew obviously that having an arena already in construction would be critical for uh, expansion uh, as it was coming up. As the league was considering to add uh, to, to add multiple teams, they ended up adding more teams than they expected because Orlando and Miami both had such great bids. Um, so yeah, the city allowed uh, construction to begin before there was a even a study of the impact on the area was filed with state and regional planners. So they they, they fast tracked that for sure. Ground broke in January '87, which was four months before the board of governors made their final vote uh, bringing Orlando into the league. And uh, one issue with that is that um, they because they tried to get a head start on the arena, uh, the building was not uh, you, you know it, it, it was pretty much out of date by the time that it opened because it you know didn't have like the you know the luxury boxes and the amenities that a lot of the other buildings that were being built at the time the palace as we mentioned going right, we on. talked so, about the palace yeah the palace of auburn hills was like hey luxury boxes are cool and, the, and this arena was built without you know that as, as, as a thought or whatever and it was like if they had just waited a year they would have you know maybe been like hey you know this palace thing is is, is great and it's making a ton of money for them that's how we're going to build our arena but they kind of were yeah. really eager to get out ahead of the game and it yeah. ended up being a, a, you know, a big detriment and, to them yeah and they might not have got a team if they hadn't done that so so right so it was yeah. kind of this weird yeah they were kind of in a weird spot here like well we needed to prove that and this happens all a lot of times one of the famous ones as well as like Tropicana Dome or whatever I, I forget what the hell it's, I think I think it's still the Tropicana in, in Tampa Bay or whatever in St. Petersburg right. for the, the Tampa Bay Rays well that thing was built you know in the mid 80s because they were going to try to get the San Francisco Giants to come over with the Chicago White Sox and they just got a thing up as quick as possible like hey here's an arena here you go or here's a stadium and it's like a terrible place to watch a baseball game it's like a horrendous arena and then the you know the Rays have got are there but it's just like well, we're just in this horrible horrible arena that just doesn't exist for any reason other than they was like kind of rushed to get out there to try to get in for a bid or whatever so that, that that's where you kind of always get these issues, and it kind of yeah, from the beginning, from the get go, this arena kind of ran into the, the, that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah, by '94 there already was talk about uh, renovations, and then in 2001 they um, 
the, the Magic really pushed for a new arena, which caused a lot of tensions between the team and the city, because obviously the city doesn't want to necessarily build another arena already, a publicly financed one so soon after the uh, last. Uh, the team did threaten to look elsewhere, and um, uh, but eventually things were settled. Uh, the team was kind of between the uh, the Penny and Shaq and the uh, and the Dwight Howard eras, and, and were losing or at least claimed to be losing a lot of money. So uh, eventually, that all kind of got settled, and a new arena was built, and yeah, everything has been great for the Magic ever since. Yeah, they're obviously a premier franchise. That's uh, yes, raking in the dough and winning championships yeah. left and right. Yeah. So it's it's great. It's funny, Everything funny. The arena awesome. opened right at the end of the the, the tail of their really good uh, run uh, there, and they haven't unfortunately not been very competitive since. No, that's uh, <laughs> that's a bummer good. for them. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of look at like, are we in a high time or a low time for the changes in arenas? And the way I did this, I I, I tried to just do teams that not necessarily moved more or less like gotten a new arena like that that because i feel like it's a little bit if you try to add like move into it and, and oh, stuff yeah, like that it gets a little too messy like you mentioned the kind of the brooklyn nets barclay center thing i wouldn't necessarily consider that a new that's kind of they moved to a new arena yes but like i, I kind of looked at you know established team getting a new arena in their home city or whatever to try to kind of look at it because i think that's sort of what we're trying to look at here a little bit more more so than teams moving or relocating or whatever well it's actually interesting I guess we are in a high time because it's 2010 so far. Uh, we have nine that have happened, which um, isn't that much. But when you remember that, obviously, we still have a few more years in the 2010s. And then, you know, we're going to get up to 10 here in a little bit with the, uh, the the Chase Center. So they're at nine right now. The 2000s uh, had 10. So you had a lot of change there. Uh, the 1990s at 11, which kind of makes the most sense that there would be kind of a, a transformative, you know, you know, t- just change in that you know that sort of decade because that's when things you know built in the sixties and seventies were really kind of getting retrofitted and, and and changed and altered or whatever. So that makes sense. Nineteen uh, eighties had ten, and the nineteen seventies had ten. So it's kind of interesting. It's like this almost perfect balance of of like tens and elevens, and and again we're going to get up to ten again with uh, uh, the the Chase Center. So kind of fascinating there that it it, it doesn't you know other than the nineties uh, being at eleven, and everything else is about at the tens. So uh, and and Jason, you wanted to look at the years with the most changes as well because I think that's kind of fun to do as well. Yeah, and uh, leading in is 1999, which had a crazy amount of change. Uh, the Raptors moved out of the Sky Dome into the Air Canada Center. The Heat moved out of the original Miami Arena. The Pacers moved out of Market Square Arena. The Nuggets moved out of McNichols Arena, and the Lakers and Clippers uh, both moved into the Staples Center from the Forum and the LA Sports Arena. And the and the Hawks uh, moved from. Um, they they were in the Omni and then they were in the Georgia Dome for a season or two and then they eventually ended up at Phillips Arena where they've been. So um, and although they didn't have a team yet, the Smoothie King Center was also built that year in '99. So so most of the arenas or, or the majority, um, a lot of the arenas in the NBA date back to 1999. So um, which is by far the most prominent year for NBA arenas. Uh, really, oh, yeah. the only what's that? Oh yeah, no. So far and away, yeah. It's it's it's, yeah. it's when you look at the other years. I mean, we, we're going to look at at some of these, and it's you know three five and or whatnot. But yeah, I mean seven. It's just right. astronomical. So yeah, yeah. Huge yeah, the, year for that. The only years that really yeah that, that have the most otherwise are eighty eight and seventy five. Each have three. Uh, the Kings moved out of the original Arco. The Pistons moved out of the Silver Dome, and the Bucks moved into the Bradley Center. You could also add make it five if you count the Hornets and Heat, but that's a little bit of a different category. So, mm-hmm. and then in seventy five, the Jazz moved out of the. Auditorium. Um, they they were in the um, oh uh, uh, the the famous dome in uh, in New Orleans. Why am I forgetting the name of it? Uh, where the Saints played. Um, 
Well, Hulk Hogan also forgot the name too. It's the uh, the Superdome. <laughs> yes, the Superdome. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm in good company with with Hulk Hogan there, so that's good. Uh, and the Nuggets uh, moved out of the uh, Denver Arena Auditorium, and and then the Rockets uh, moved into the uh, Summit. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so outside of that, yeah, there really is not. Um, there hasn't. '99 is by far the uh, the greatest year for that, which is interesting. Of course, that's the lockout year. So, like, um, I guess a lot of those places were like waiting for the. Um, for the teams to uh, really start playing, a lot of those arenas probably were counting yeah. on that, uh, you know, November December uh, NBA uh, revenue to uh, to help them out. So that, that's sort of an interesting um, subplot of that. In our '90s series, we'll have to uh, 20 years ago series, we'll have to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, it's pretty funny. If those darn owners would just make any money, you know, these damn players are taking all the money, and they, these poor owners just right. can't make any money. Oh wait, let's all build a brand new publicly financed arena. This is yes. great. Okay, thanks. But we'll take all the revenues. That's fine. Right. You do all the expense. We'll do all the revenues. exactly. Everything works yeah, out well. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. But yeah, I mean, obviously, and you have a little bit. I mean, it was kind of tough, like, to try to judge like the the, the changing of arenas because obviously you have in the '60s. A lot of teams just played, you know, a few games at this arena, a few games at this. That's kind of hard to judge. When I did this, I really looked at kind of like full time arenas or whatever, and I think that's probably a better way to judge it um, for the context of now because, yeah, it's a whole different animal in the seventies and the sixties where you have like you know teams playing, you know, a year in one place and a year in another place and a year in a, those aren't homes; those are just like places that will let, allow them to play basketball at their arenas or whatever. But like, yeah, you have like the Sacramento Kings, or, you know, obviously Kansas City Omaha Kings. I mean, they were bouncing every year or whatever to a different you know spot or whatever, and and a bunch of different teams would do that as well. Where they they play a year at a place. They play half of a year at one place, half a year at other. So it's really a kind of a unique thing in the last you know, 30 years where teams have just played at you know their home and they've had a home. You know, to, to us, we sort of take that for granted where it wasn't always the case. Where we talked about the, the Warriors where they would play some games in San Jose and some in San Diego and some you know here and some in Daly City and then some in San Francisco and some in Oakland. And so it's, 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 we kind of take for granted a team having a home and like an established place to play. Yeah, I mean before the early 70s maybe – the late 60s no one was building an arena for an nba team i mean they were building arenas that you know nba teams would be part of but no one was thinking okay you know the the nba was not important enough for anyone to be building an arena for it you know before at least the late 60s so yeah it could kind of a completely different mindset now as far as that goes um but yeah, I mean, if you look at the ages of the current arenas, I, I was a little surprised by this. There's only three arenas that are around before 1990, um, and two of them are going to be replaced soon. Orica, going back to 66, is actually the oldest. Uh, Madison Square Garden, going back to 68, second oldest. Um, and it actually also holds the record for the longest uh, uh, use for a single use for an arena. It has uh, 50 years between 68 to 2018. Uh, it's been renovated since then, but it's certainly it's been the home of the Knicks that entire time. Um, and uh, but 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 going back to the other point, yeah, I, I was I was kind of shocked that uh, there was no other arenas you know in actively being used that are older than that. The rest of them, the Target Center is next in 1990. So uh, <laughs> that, that's that, that's kind of crazy to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't think that the Target Center <laughs> is like right next up there, but yeah, I mean it, it, it is kind of weird how many of these new arenas got sort of changed around, and and it's interesting that there are no teams that that kind of build that into their legacy, and that's where I think it's a little different. Where you know, obviously in baseball, you have tons of different 
you know stadiums, but you still have some of your few legacy ones, your Wrigley Fields, your Fenway Parks. Uh, but you know, then again, you have the Yankees who just don't care and build new, you know, Yankee stadiums sure. all the time or whatever. So it is interesting. But yeah, there's never. Other than Madison Square Garden, there's really not a team that's like, you know, I, I doubt the Wolves. I mean, maybe we, in 20 years we talk about the Wolves being like attached to the Target Center, but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, so it's really just the Madison Square Garden. That's it. I mean, that that's the only one that's really a legacy arena in, in the league because obviously Oracle's on its way out. Bradley's on its way out, and I wouldn't consider those anywhere near that anyway. And, yeah. and obviously the Target oh, Center oh, now, you, right. know, it, 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 you know, over you know 18 years old or whatever, 28 years old, is, is, is not one, again, that – is going to be, I, I mean, if it's around for another 10 years, that's fine, but I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh man, like, <laughs> you can't knock down the Target Center? That's, that's where all the memories were made. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so it's, it's kind of interesting that there is not that same attachment. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, outside of outside Madison Square Garden and, and to an extent Oracle because of just, you know, the, the that's the one that kind of has the old school atmosphere still left. Yeah, everything else it's like, yeah, and, and maybe it says something to do with our ages and, and maybe the, you know, fans of those teams probably have more specific attachments to those places than than we might as as general NBA fans. But, um, yeah, that that's, that's really interesting. Just uh, for the record, the um, – Buildings that have had the longest continuing continuous NBA arena use, uh, Madison Square Garden, as we mentioned, from 68 to 2018. Uh, next is a Boston Garden from 46 to uh, 1995. Um, Oracle is from 72 to what will be 2019, will be the last year there. Uh, and then the Forum in L.A. from 67 to 99. Uh, the Spectrum in Philadelphia from 67 to 96. Uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills from 88 to 2017. Uh, the Summit in Houston from 75 to 2003. And the Arc- the second Arco Arena in Sacramento from 88 to 2016 all had the longest runs, 25 years or more than um, in uh, NBA history. So. Uh, again, kind of a smaller list than I would have expected. I, I, not, not something I thought like in, in depth, but I kind of think of a you know arena life as being you know, roughly forty years, maybe. You know, um, obviously some of the great ones last longer than that, but uh, but but yeah, it's really it's pretty rare for more than 20, a building to be used continuously for more than twenty five years. Be there. Hey, sorry, you're breaking up a lot uh, there. I mean, I, I'm sure it came. I, I'm sure it came across okay on recording. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really okay, have. Yeah, it, it was uh, you were breaking up a lot on, but I mean, it's fine because we're recording it separately. But yeah, I couldn't really hear what you were saying that last time. So okay. I wanna, no, it's I it, it's fine. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I don't know what's going on. I can do it the, no, I, I was talking just about the the last thing I said was just about the. Um, it's rare for there to be an arena that uh, lasts for more than twenty five years. That that in the NBA, that that's a rarer thing than I expected. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. <clears throat> so I finished my point. I have uh, I have nothing more to say. Okay, cool. I'll just I can kind of wrap that up. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll kind of respond to your thing and then uh, wrap that up. And okay. Go from there. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, definitely unique in that sense. And a lot of those ones, like you look at the Boston Garden, obviously goes drops in the 90s, uh, the Forum, you know, the Spectrum, <laughs> you know, a few of those. And I was kind of surprised the Summit lasted until 2003, but I guess that, that is the case. But, yeah, I mean, it is it is unique that, like, and that's sort of a thing, again, like, I mean, like, there was a lot of, you know, in baseball, there's a lot of stadiums that's, that hung around for a long time. But now we're starting to see kind of the, and I guess, again, we, we mentioned when, when the public's paying for it, yeah, sure, we'll get a new <laughs> arena. Sure, that'd be great, you know, <laughs> and then sort of strong on the city or whatever. But, yeah, you're not seeing 
anybody really stick with an arena for much longer. And that's like we, we mentioned the Target Center a little bit earlier. I wonder when that's going to start being a grumble, even though it's a, probably a perfectly fine arena. I've never been, but like that one now, because it's just 28 years old, that someone's going to say, well, geez, we, we probably should get a new arena. Like, come on, we have to do it. So no one's really sticking with one for a while either. And, and really, I mean, if the public's going to pay for it. Why would you? <laughs> so uh, right. it is kind of strange in that sense. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate we're losing two of the, two of the old ones but hey maybe i i don't know the new bucks one maybe it'll be great and awesome and maybe chase center will be cool too so we'll, we'll see but uh oh yeah, yeah really getting down in the nitty-gritty there with just msg being like the only one that survived uh but yeah so you have like nine yeah 1968 for msg like you said then 1990 for the target center and then like and then everything else is like you know pretty new so that's, that's pretty unique yeah i i wonder at some point when the next one will be the pressure there's always going to be the you know the team that might want to you know is going to use the threat of leaving to Mm -hmm. uh you know build a new one and and stuff like that so uh you know i I would guess the next arena would be more likely to be uh you know built outside of a city to either lure a team or for an expansion team or, or or what have you but we'll we'll see how that goes all right yeah absolutely all right rich well uh this was a uh, this was fun. Good uh, good yeah. luck. This was your idea. I, I uh, uh, and I thought it went pretty well. So uh, I thought it went really well. Actually, I take that back. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, hope everyone enjoyed the show. And uh, of course, you can find us at the Step Back at fansided.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you want to listen to your podcasts. Uh, we are there. So uh, if you uh, like what we're doing, please give us a rating and a review. Helps people find the show and makes us feel good about ourselves, which is probably the more important thing. And uh, until next time, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.